0: From relationships to making money moves, there's a show that'll captivate every listener. And for my fellow Black creatives, this is a call to action to take your brand and monetization to the next level. It's for the culture. Join the movement and sign up today. Sign up today to get a six-month subscription for $20. Visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com. Coming soon to iOS and Android. If you're wearing all the hats of like sales, marketing, product development, all of those things, like it's a lot. And, you know, sometimes it makes a whole lot more sense, at least for me and like my personality and the the kind of life that I want to live. I would rather build a team around whatever the goal, the project, the business is and leverage some other people's genius. And I spent way too long thinking that I had to learn like all the departments and all of the lanes by myself. and. You can go way farther and way faster if you partner with people who, you know, who have that, the genius that you
1: don't. I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simon. Yeah. I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simon. yeah. Discover my game, yeah, yeah. Discover my game, yeah. Welcome to another episode of How I Discover My Gift. It's yours truly, David D. Simons. I'm honored and excited and delighted to have today's guest on the show, Devin Johnson. Devin is the founder and CEO of Dark Horse Capital and Dark Horse Capital Partners, a suite of dynamic investment and development companies focused on providing superior returns to investors through well-researched and risk-mitigated projects across diverse asset classes. With over two decades of experience in entrepreneurship, real estate investment, and consulting services, Devin is an accomplished deal maker, an investor with a true people-focused heart committed to efficiency and profitability without compromising the quality of returns or client experience. Devin has recently opened the Capital Club, which I'm excited to dig into. We'll talk about that. Uh, a private mastermind and investment club focused on providing investors with varied pro- varied private investment opportunities with due diligence done for you uh, across private equity, uh, real estate, VC, debt, M&A, and more. She does the due diligence and they make it happen. So, Devin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. Me too. I, I, I've been looking forward to this conversation Um it, your 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 conversation is going to be the first of its kind on our show. I got to say, because we have not had a person that's really 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 focused on investment, just to- totally right. That's what that's what they're into and that's what they do. So this is a first for us, which is which is great. Um, Devin, can you just take us through the journey, right? Just take us through uh, childhood yeah. to where you are today. Like walk us through how, how deep do you want
0: me to go? Um, so I, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I was raised by a single mother. My parents divorced when I was really little. And, um, you know, unfortunately I didn't get to see my father a whole lot when I was, when I was a kid, he was an airline pilot, lived in another state. So my sister and I were being brought up by our mother and, Full transparency, it was not a, um, Norman Rockwell kind of childhood. There was a lot of addiction and chaos and everything that comes along with that in our, in our household. Um, lots of, lots of stress. A lot of that was centered around money and, you know, just a lot of uncertainty um I have an amazing an amazing relationship with my dad now and um fantastic relationship with my sister and that's just kind of, you know, we grew up in a little bit of chaos. There's no way to there's no way to sugarcoat that. Um and you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything either. There are certain skill sets that you learn in that kind of an environment, um such as how to be creative and I think that also was Probably where the seed was planted for me um, that got me to where I am now to money was always uh, a problem when I was a kid you know and (laughs) we lived in a nice part of town kind of like in the in the the cheapest neighborhood in a really nice part of town and so as a kid like I couldn't afford the same clothes that the other girls were wearing and it you know I felt like I didn't quite fit in and I started my entrepreneurial journey very young. Like I was babysitting and doing odd jobs that I could find around the neighborhood, like anything that I could do to, you know, earn my own, earn my own money. Um, so that's like early childhood. And then, um, you know, going through middle school and high school, like I did really well in school. I was also a bit of a rebel. Um, I never, (laughs) I never liked to follow the rules. Um, you know, I got great grades, but I also skipped school a lot and, um, you know, did all of, all of those things that us rebellious entrepreneur types tend to do. And, um, you know, through my, through my twenties, I, um, I struggled quite a bit. I had some success and then, you know, I was like, I was always determined to be an entrepreneur. Like that was, I was not willing to really do uh, (laughs) what anybody told me to do. I had odd jobs like tending bar and was always trying to start something on my own. And I finally had some success in my mid late twenties with a a retail business that did pretty well and um, ended up having to exit that retail business after a little while. And, um, you know, like I had a partner when I started He was the bank. I was the brains. It wasn't working. So I was, I was essentially, I was forced into a buyout. And that is when, um, that was one of the best things that ever happened to me. I, uh, because my identity was like super tied up in what I was doing at that time. I'm Devin, the, you know, retail store owner. I was like, my identity was so tied up in what I was doing and <clears throat> it's like the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, gave me a gift. kind of like you're gonna you're gonna figure out who you are with without this uh, without this business. So exited that company, had some cash and that was when I decided to buy my first property. I was 29, I think, 29 and uh, bought my first house and decided I was gonna renovate it with my own two hands, you know. Between like Googling YouTube and calling my dad on the phone crying, I was (laughs) determined, determined to figure it out by myself. And, um, that's when I I got the bug to go into real estate Mm. was, uh, yeah. So I was 29. Was I 29? Oh my gosh. I'm 39 now. So that was 10 years ago. Um, yeah. And that started me on my, on my real estate journey. So, I started off as a residential real estate agent and I didn't know what I was doing, didn't know anybody really. So I just started like knocking on doors, um, to build up a client base. And I did that for, uh, for quite a few years and I, I built a property management company and that was pretty successful. And then I, I sold the property management company cause it was sucking the life out of me. And, mm. I started working primarily with investors um, as a real estate, like a a residential real estate agent. I worked with investors that were wanting to buy rental properties um, because I figured out that they were repeat clients. You know, they would buy more than more than once a year, Um, and I just had a really good, I had a really good knack for you know seeing a house that could. It needed a little bit of love. It was in the right area that it would rent well. Um, and the place that I lived was a second home market. It was like a, a late community. It was kind of a vacation destination. So then I started working with a lot of clients on Airbnbs too. And keep in mind, this is like eight years ago before everybody was doing Airbnb or short-term rentals. Um, right. And did really well with... Uh, with that clientele and those types of properties, but I was just super burned out. Um, I was like, I lived on a hamster wheel because I would just eat what I kill, eat what I kill, eat what I kill. So if I wasn't getting up and grinding and answering the phone, I wasn't making money. Um, And I had, I think I had like maybe one rental property around that time. And, you know, so I had a little bit of passive income, but not not a ton and really just got super burned out. And then I got a sign from God to move to Nashville. So I did, I like, I walked away from my real estate business. I just like shut everything down, uh, put my books and my clothes in my car and moved across the country.
1: That's bold.
0: It was, I know it was crazy. I've done a few crazy things like that in my life. Like I, I didn't, wasn't sure how deep we wanted to get on, like the.
1: T- oh yeah, we can go <laughs> deep. Let's let's scuba dive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've done yeah. I've done things like that a few times in my life, and it's it's always turned out really really well. Um, yeah. But yeah, I got this. I got this sign to move to Nashville, so I moved, um, and I got here and was like, oh, okay, <laughs> now what? What am I here for? No clue. And I really, really, at that time, I really wanted out of real estate. I was just so burned out. And, you know, <clears throat> friends and family were like, oh, you should sell real estate in Nashville. You'll crush it. You know, properties are much more expensive here. And the thought of that made me want to cry. I was like, "There's, mm. there's got to be a better way to make money. Mm. I was doing well financially, you know, for the small town that I lived in. But it's I, did, I didn't have quality of life.
1: Mm, you know? Mm. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. That. that oh, we we're, we're gonna we're gonna dive into that too. I mean, that's thank you for breaking that down. What a journey. Um. To, so so, Devin, when you think about it, what is your most dominant gift?
0: Connecting with people.
1: Hmm. And when did you? When did you like? You know how you you operate in a gift or you operate in something because it's so natural to you, you just do it. But when did you realize this was, like, like either you had the revelation that this is my gift, this is a gift that I have, or uh, a moment when you, you can look back and point to it and, like, oh, yeah, I was definitely doing that or operating in that, even at when I didn't know it.
0: Yeah, I don't think I knew that for a really long time. Um, mm. And I was also, like, the last person to know that I was an artist. Most people would by looking at me with my purple hair and, and bright colors, like they would pick right up on that. But I, I didn't know that about myself. And Mm -hmm. I learned that my, my gift is really connecting with people actually. So I moved here to Nashville and I got, uh, I got a job working for this business consultancy because I wanted to do something completely different. So they hired me. Come to find out the guys that own that consultancy had just started a real estate portfolio and they strategically hired me because of my resume. And so I ended up working in real estate again, but in a totally different, uh, in a totally different aspect. And I really helped to build this company. They, they sold properties to investors. I helped raise money for the fund and I built out all the dispositions and I, I did a ton of volume by myself and it was my my boss at that company that told me one day, like he had zero real estate experience, really. Mm. That's, why, that's why I was on the bus. Um, mm. And I remember early on while I was working for that fund, he told me, he was like, Devin, you're really good at real estate. He said, but I've never seen anybody like you with people. Because mm. think about the, the kind of like trust and rapport that you need to build with somebody to buy a couple hundred thousand dollar house over a zoom call that like, you're never going to look at or to put, you know, to make a large investment into, uh, into a fund, you know, just wire a couple hundred thousand dollars to a person that you've never, you've never met in person. Like you've got to really be able to connect, build trust, help people understand what's going on. And, you know, I was, I have a really good knack for, uh, for that and, and building relationships with everything that I do now, the types of deals that I source, it's 100% a relationship business. Like you can't Google those opportunities. Mm. You have to be in the right rooms, meet the right people. And if, if they don't like you, (laughs) like you're not going to get access to the deals.
1: Mm that's good that's good so so this this kind of boss was would you say the first time somebody kind of like really pointed it out to you like and it just uh aha like you're great with people yeah And, and wow yeah wow and so you pretty much went through a large portion of your entrepreneur career operating in it but not really knowing that you were like consciously knowing that this is a gifting you were oh, excellent at.
0: Yeah, I didn't have a clue. Um, my, one of my first like real jobs was teaching preschool when I was like 16, you know, I was an assistant preschool teacher in, uh, in a church. And I think a lot of it probably started there, but I, I didn't realize it. Like think about managing the emotions of 23 year olds four-year-olds Ooh. all at one time, yeah. you know, like that takes, that was the most exhausting job I've ever had in my entire life. too. <laughs>
1: it's like, I can only imagine.
0: <laughs> um, and then I spent years like waiting tables and I, I made a ton of money and bartending. I made a ton of money, wow. you know, and it was because of the relationships that I was able to build with people. People wanted to come. Mm to the places that I worked when I was, when I was doing those things, it was, you know, the food was good. Yeah. You know, I worked in some nice places, but it was more, it was the connection. Mm. They wanted to visit me before they went home.
1: That's beautiful. Beautiful. So take, take us back to that first business. Maybe it's not the first one in real retail, but the one where you were the brains and the, there was the banker. Um, Talk to us about how that opportunity came about and how that built up and just and how you your gift was leveraged to build that up. I imagine. Right. Uh, In in that as well.
0: Yeah. So that was that was a cool business. So what it was was um, it was a gourmet food store. We sold like specialty olive oils and balsamic vinegars and that opened that like 15 years ago. That concept is super popular now. They're everywhere. But at that time, there were there weren't very many of those types of stores. And I saw the concept while I was on vacation and immediately, like I was on vacation, there were it was like these flavored olive oils that you could taste before you bought them and I was like this is so cool. I wanted to buy like a whole case of this stuff. Because I couldn't get it back home. It had a souvenir aspect to it. And Mm. I I love to cook. I'm a huge foodie. So I was like, well, I live in a vacation destination. There's a novelty aspect to it. You know, print the the city, the town on the bottle. So um, basically, yeah, I just kind of like took their idea and put my own spin on it. And... um, it took off like wildfire, like wildfire. We were in the black in six weeks. We sold out of all of our inventory, the opening, like the opening weekend. Um, so I, I put the store in a high traffic location. So there was tons and tons of foot traffic and, um, I incentivized my staff. You know, a lot of times you go into a retail store, people are like, let me know if you need anything. Right. Right. Well, what's it like when you go into Louis Vuitton or Chanel? you know somebody comes to greet you they get to know you blah 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 and um i so i incentivized my employees with profit share and Mm -hmm. basically i taught them how to upsell which had a lot to do with you had to connect with these people this was a food item we were selling so find out what kind of do they like italian food do they like uh middle eastern food do they like it you know what do they like and then steer them in that direction so Looking back, like, I'm just realizing this now talking to you, but essentially I encourage them to build connection with the people that were coming into the store rather than just mm-hmm. like, let me know if you need something, you know, know. but like really, yeah. really engage and find out what they're after. And then because of that, everybody that came in the store, instead of just buying one, they bought like 12.
1: Yeah. Amazing. If, if you don't mind, could you talk a little numbers like like how, like food, food businesses are not easy. Right. Uh, uh, it's it's very difficult. So to be in the black in six weeks is is no small feat at all. That is a, a crazy accomplishment. Just that alone in itself. And then um, for the listeners, though, that might be curious to to get into that space. What what, what kind of numbers did that restaurant uh, that's a restaurant that food business end up being? doing.
0: Yeah. So it was, it was a really unique business. And one of the reasons that it works so well is because the markup on the product was about 1200%. Yeah. So it was, you know, a specialty olive oil that was being imported. We sold them for about 20 bucks a bottle and most of the bottles somewhere between like one and $3 in product cost. Um, Yeah. And I think the key for me was also because I put it in a high foot traffic area in a tourist destination. So I didn't have any advertising expenses, but I paid a ton in rent um, to have that strategic location. And, you know, we did do some online sales, but most of it was, you know, was from people physically coming into the store. and. There were quite a few other stores uh, that popped up that were buying from the same supplier and we were always like our numbers blew everybody else out of the water and it was 100% because of the locations when I opened several other locations and I put them all in high traffic tourist areas like I opened one in Myrtle Beach and I put it in this uh, this development called Broadway at the Beach where there's just like, there's tons of activity going on. That's where families are coming when they get off the sand to do, you know, play games and go out to eat and stuff like that. So I think like in the startup, because I did, I had a partner who was the money, right? And I was the brains behind it. We got into some knockdown fist fights over some of the things that I wanted to spend money on. One was like some of the, the branding with um, the shopping bags. I made sure they were incredibly beautiful because people walking Mm. around, we're going to see, we're going to see the shopping bags and like the signage spent, spent money. It was hot pink. So like you couldn't, Mm. you couldn't miss it. You, you had to notice the sign. Um, and then spending that much money on, on rent was the right thing to do. But I know, and because I worked in a ton of restaurants too, like a lot of them can be, a lot of them fail you know, a lot of them don't have really good margins. And I think another opportunity with that kind of business too, is they're oftentimes they're open like a lot. So it can be a challenge for the owner to really like even be able to turn their brain off unless you have incredible staff. And I'm, I invested in really good staff so that I didn't have to manage it. They, the people that worked for me made more than any of the other retail workers, like in those outdoor malls or areas. And I did that
1: on purpose so that I got the best talent. Wow. That's genius. That's genius. And, and this, this particular, like, what was it doing in revenue, uh, in, a, in a, within a year or so?
0: Um, it was doing like a million and a half, a million and a half. Yeah, twenty dollars at a time. Like that's a lot.
1: That's incredible. See, the volume was crazy. Yeah. Wow.
0: It was a lot. Wow. It was a lot. It, yeah, that was. It was a great business, and um, after I exited, unfortunately, a couple. It wasn't that long after uh, my former partner bought me out that it closed. Mm-hmm. So I think once I wasn't there, it didn't really have the like the attention and the care that went away and then sales went down and you know it closed and there was no reason that needed to happen but
1: mm. and and that was i guess we again we look at it like your gift was in action and and, and it was it was like that piece was taken out that attention to people that that the heart were driven yeah the heart was taken out so you said it was one of the best things to happen to you that that buyout and even though it wasn't I probably shouldn't sure think that at that moment. But now looking back for sure, what transpired in that moment to now transition you into to this investor and investor relations and all this stuff that you do now?
0: Yeah, great question. Um, like it helped me to see that even though even though that was a great business, I didn't I didn't have control. I own forty nine percent. So ultimately, like, you know, when push came to shove, yeah. I, I had, I had no control. Um, and then, you know, I, I was kind of faced with that. Well, like who, what do I want to do? Who do I want to be? What do I want to become? And the, you know, the real estate was, it it felt kind of like a happy accident because I bought that house and started rehabbing it and fell, fell in love with it. And you know, it was like every step along the journey led me exactly to where I was when I was working for that When I was working for the fund, my, my previous employer, who was the one who really let me know that my, my genius was my genius is connection and, and deals like really, Mm. um, I have a really, really good eye for analyzing deals, but you're never going to, you're never going to get to the analysis table. (laughs) People don't like you. Um, Mm. when I was working for that fund, it was kind of like the same, the same As being, when I was a real estate agent, I was making really good money and I was kind of on a hamster wheel because it was all active income. And the irony is what I did every day was educate people about passive income. Mm -hmm. That's what I was helping them build. Like my job was to help rich guys get richer, mostly dudes. Mm -hmm. There was a few women, but it was mostly dudes. and. One of my friends took me to lunch several years ago and I was, you know, I was working for that fund. I wasn't very happy. I bought a few more properties, built up a little bit more passive income, but he was like, Devin, when are you going to do for you what you do for other people all day long? And it was like, whoa, whoa. And that, like the light bulb, the light bulb really kind of came on then and, um, I stopped working for that fund and started, like, doing my own thing. I started, like, raising money for my own projects. I started doing um, consulting for a lot of different real estate operators and helping them build and scale. And then I just had tons of people constantly reach out to me. Because at this point, like, I've been working with investors for about 10 years. So old clients and friends and family are reaching out to me all the time, like, what should I invest in? Should I put my money in this deal? Should I... Should I look at that? And then I'm constantly, people are asking me to raise money for them all the time. And, you know, it, it really hit me. Like I've got these two groups of people that are trying to meet each other, which is why I, I launched the investment club. Cause you know, I want to, I wanted to be able to help everybody that was, whether it was my uncle or an, a past client asking for help. Like, does this deal make sense? And it's like I can't just do that. Anytime somebody wants to like blow up my phone, you know, it's like not not serving people right. efficiently or um or at a high level. But yeah, it was that that conversation with a friend of mine. Love that guy for telling me the truth. Uh right. that basically the medicine I was giving out to everybody else was the medicine that I needed.
1: Beautiful. Wow. That's so powerful. So I know you've been working on deals before um, this moment that you were now being enlightened by your friend about doing this for yourself. But can you talk about that first project that you're now doing that is kind of like for yourself or you're managing completely for yourself and and what you, you can give as many details as you want on that or, 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 or that you can, but that first project, what happened uh, through that first that journey, and then after, what did you feel like after accomplishing it?
0: I was terrified. Um, mm. I was absolutely terrified. so I was I was done working with that fund and basically like I was I did not have very much money in the bank. Um, <clears throat> long story short, like just my when I worked there, my comp plan was based on profit, and some things weren't going well. so like I really wasn't making any money. And, uh, you know, had to had to go out on my own. And I just decided, um, what happened is that they were no longer able to pay me, right? So technically, they let me go. And news spread very quickly. I got like a dozen job offers within 48 hours, tons of people... Yeah. Tons of people wanted to hire me They're, you know, asking for me to come work on their projects, blah, blah, blah. And that's when the light bulb came on that like, Oh, I was probably that I'm way more valuable than I'd given myself credit for, you know? And, uh, so I just decided to jump in the deep end of the pool and really didn't know what I was doing. Um, but I was willing to ask for, for help from, and people are like, People are generally very generous when when you want to ask for help. So I found this cool project and you know started started working on it. And you know the long story short, it fell apart. The first one did not. It didn't. It didn't come to fruition. You know, and I spent months and months and months on it. And uh, but that was I, there was so much valuable learning in that time period that I think because. Nothing really went the way that I thought it would, you know, I learned everything that I needed to do correctly moving forward. Mm -hmm. I was trying to do way too much of it myself, honestly, on that first one. And what I know now is it's a whole lot easier for me to partner with a very experienced developer, for example, and like I'll raise the capital, And let somebody else handle the things that are, you know, either outside of my experience or it's just like, it's easier, I think, um, for those kinds of big projects, if you have a narrow focus.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, so after that, did you feel like you kind of started to get your groove and, and like, you know, you you've already had the relationships, you already had um uh funders and you have the you have all the pieces, you're going through the process, you're learning. Like so one of the things we talk about on the show is the, the development phase. There's no there's no going around that. Everybody has to go through development, whether whether it's uh you're in construction, you gotta learn how to you know develop buildings, do all those things, whether you're building an agency, there's a development process to everyone. And so it sounds like this was your development process. Um, could you speak to the behind the scenes of that a little bit? Like, you know, you're asking questions, you know, if, if somebody wants to become better at something, they have to really put in some work and some, some honestly, some hours, some unseen hours, some late nights, early mornings, uh, sometimes to really get this dialed in.
0: Yeah, I would say... Um... I, I kind of learned the hard way that it is it's actually way easier and way more fun to when you're working on these kinds of big projects. And this part of my genius, I figured out, too, also was and I think this is where the artist create the creative thing comes in. If if you look at a project kind of like a puzzle. I can usually figure out like these are the kinds of people that we need to have on the bus. Like designing the team and then go recruit those people rather than trying to figure out all of those things yourself. You know, that's one of the struggles of being like a true solopreneur, which is what I was doing for a long time as, a, as an individual real estate agent. A lot of those things is like, if you're wearing all the hats of like sales, marketing, product development, all of those things, like it's a lot. And, you know, sometimes it makes a whole lot more sense, at least for me and like my personality and the, the kind of life that I want to live. I would rather build a team around whatever the goal, the project, the business is, and leverage some other people's genius. And I spent way too long thinking that I had to learn like all the departments and all of the lanes by myself. And you can go way farther and way faster if you partner with people who, you know, who have that, the genius that you don't.
1: Mm, That's good. And it's
0: more fun.
1: (laughs) Mhm, you're striking a nerve with the entrepreneurs that listen to this show. Uh, if if you don't mind for a, a moment, could you speak about that mindset you had before? You know that hustle, grind, grind mindset, and 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 the conversation we've had. You you said that you want everybody to experience passive income. Yeah, you know, instead of that act only active earned income, um, and if you could just speak to the entrepreneur that's listening to this and and is right now in that spot where you're, where you were, um, a while back of if it's going to be, it's up to me and, (laughs) you know, not looking from a team perspective.
0: Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think going all the way back to childhood, like I kind of, I learned that is how, like, that's what kept me safe and protected me when I was little, like, you know, there were a lot of times that my sister and I, we were like, we were really kind of looking out for ourselves. And while it served me, then it actually held me back, um, as an entrepreneur because I still, you know, if it is to be, it is up to me and investing, I feel like is a, is a team sport too. You know, Mm -hmm. um, if you, if you're a solopreneur or you have a big business and a big team, you know, you you can still leverage help to figure out what to do with that capital to build up the passive income. Um, which is, I mean, that's the service that I provide in the Capital Club. It's like I'm finding the deals for for the clients that are in there because realistically, most of them they don't have the time, the energy, or the skill set or the relationships to go make that happen themselves. And you can if you, if you Google long enough, you can kind of figure out the strategy, but is that really the highest and best use of your time to try to figure it all out yourself? Like you can do that, but I'm 10 years ahead of you is (laughs) what, what I would tell people, you know, like it, it doesn't have to take nearly as long as, uh, as it's taken me.
1: Mm, Beautiful. Speaking of that, let's talk about the Capital Club You know, this, this, this amazing vision, um, which I think is so super creative um, of what you're doing. I've heard of investment clubs, but not on the level that you're doing it and not with the attention to detail and due diligence, which you said is another um, uh, genius of yours. Uh, So if you could talk to us first, what is the Capital Club? Yeah the genesis all of that around it and the whole story around it
0: yeah so like i was sharing you know i've just had so many people kind of like reaching out texting me asking for my one-on-one help um so i decided to launch the club to you know to provide really solid investment opportunities to people that are they're looking to invest uh and they're, they're busy. Like the opportunities that I provide are, are pretty much passive investments. And the deals that I share, like I, I really have nothing to gain if you invest or not. So it's this the service that I'm providing is like going out, hunting through these deals, doing the due, do, the due diligence, looking at the team. What is their track record? What is their history? Have they returned investor capital before? You know, do they know what they're doing? Um, what are the risks and how are they being mitigated? And I've, I've looked at some other investment clubs too, in what they do and what I do. And, um, most of, most of the other ones that I've seen, like the person who's running the club does have something to gain in, in most of the deals or they're like super niched. It's just like one particular, like multifamily real estate. That's all we do. And while that's, uh, Well, that's cool and all, like what I know from most of my clients are they're entrepreneurs. I've got some, uh, some doctors and athletes too, but like most of them are, they're internet entrepreneurs, they're marketers, they're agency owners, um, a world that I know very little about. I'm surrounded by y'all, but I just don't know anything about what you do. And, um, they want variety or they don't even know what they want. They're like, should I buy an Airbnb? Should I even invest in this? Should I invest in that? And so rather than try to niche down super narrow, I essentially have built a buffet. So there's, there's a variety of things on the table. Uh, some are more geared towards capital preservation. The guy that's like, I've worked way too dang hard to make this money I don't want it going anywhere. I want the safest vehicle you have. That would be kind of like the white rice on the buffet, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. it'll fill your belly <laughs> and it'll get the job done. Uh, right. And then some other, you know, everybody's risk tolerance is different. So if somebody is younger, maybe they don't have a family yet, they're making money like crazy. They might be more willing to take some risks. Uh, so they might be interested in like a venture capital type opportunity. Um, and then you know, there's the deal that we're gonna share next week. I'll just tell you what it's what it's gonna be. For <laughs> example, um, this one is it's a really exciting opportunity and it provides amazing cash flow but also incredible tax benefits. And that's investing in the right opportunity can save you money on taxes, can give you cash flow. It's very rare to find an opportunity that gives you both so this uh this deal it's in um it's in the oil and gas space and that's all that i'll share but if you do the math it's a hundred percent tax write-off of active income so if somebody were to invest say two hundred thousand dollars in that deal they're immediately saving seventy three thousand dollars off their tax bill immediately plus it's cash flowing 14 to 21 percent a year so Over three to five years, it ends up being uh, a 350% return, which is, and it's totally passive. Plus you're saving all that money on your taxes. So if you look at like arbitrage, rather than giving that money to Uncle Sam, you're able to put it into a vehicle that is going to make you money. That's very risk mitigated. Um, Like who wouldn't do that? (laughs) Be silly, be silly not to do that. So those are the types of, of opportunities that I, uh, that I source and bet. And, you know, a few weeks ago, I shared an investment into a cannabis company, for example, higher risk because of the nature of the industry, but the company is vertically integrated. They don't have any other debt. They've been in business for 12 years. So in that industry, like this is a very solid opportunity and it was paying a 36% annual return. Um, you know, that's their projection, which is, that's crazy. I still consider it higher risk just because of the nature of the industry, Um, you know, and then we've got also some very traditional, like multifamily real estate syndications that are, you know, in a big metro area like Houston or Atlanta, something like that with a a solid team that's been doing this for 20 years, Uh, you know, that's like, that, that I would say is a more typical... You know, that's kind of the white rice variety uh, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: of the deals. The, the cannabis right. is maybe more like, that's like some spicy chicken. And then, you know, uh-huh. venture capital is, that's the extra spicy chicken, uh, but, e- <laughs> but even still with those opportunities, the ones that I'm going to share are not the absolute moonshots. I'm, I'm looking for what, what teams have the, the best possibility of success. Have they taken the companies public before? Who's on the team? Who's invested? I shared uh, a tech incubator a couple of weeks ago that Grant Cardone is very heavily invested and the team is incredibly solid. And, you know, like you're not going to find that opportunity on your Instagram feed.
1: Wow. It's- so I love that. I mean, so can you speak to you know, the person that's thinking of getting into investing, right? What is that criteria that they should be looking for? You kind of mentioned, I think you kind of hit, hit on some things and, and, and there's certain levels. It feels like there's layers to this investment world, right? So you, I kept hearing you mention team, 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 team. Um, that seems to be one of the pillars. What other pillars are, are critical and that most people miss it when it comes to investing?
0: In my opinion, team is one of the most important, um, wow you know, who are these people? What is their track record? Um, that is like the most important thing. Um, one of the, the second I would say is like kind of the thesis or essentially like the business plan, uh, does it make sense? Are like, for example, if someone is saying, I'm gonna, I'm going to remodel an apartment complex and I'm going to sell it at a price that is just not realistic in today's market, then that would be a faulty thesis, you know, like that's never going to get off the ground. Um, also some things that I look at too, is that, which goes back to the team, how much skin do they have in the game? Uh, like is their own money invested or how, you, you know, or like, how is the deal structured? So I shared a, um, it was a development project And the way that their deal is structured, yes, they've got some, some skin in the game in terms of money invested, but the developer doesn't make money until all the investors make their money. The way that the, the deal is, is structured, he's got a 25% buffer, meaning Mm. if he, if he misses the mark by 25%, investors still get paid and he makes zero. So he's willing to wait until the very end of this 18 to 24 months to make his money. And he's been doing it that way for 10 years. And he never has trouble getting investors to invest into his deals because he makes sure that that the investors are taken care of first. So those are some of the things that I like to look at too. And for me, there's not like, there's not necessarily a hard and fast rule for any one of those things, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like a sniff test is the way that I look at it. You know, if there's a couple of things that are, um, you know, like, okay, you've got 10 years of experience. That's that, that will give a pretty high, high mark. Or if somebody has less experience, but they're willing to not get paid until the very end, that's an opportunity that I'm going to look further into.
1: Yeah. I love that. So I'm, I'm trying to think from the position of somebody listening what about deals where all of those things look good everything like it passes the sNiff test it passes the the the, the criteria looks good you know because you do see that from time to time where everything looked great but but then something happens or or, or the inevitable or something something that you just didn't didn't expect how did how does one do, you know, risk is a part of the game. Yeah. So how does, how does one over, I mean, I guess you can't overcome that as essentially, or you just kind of like, you know, that's part of the part for the course. Like how, how does one think about that?
0: That's a great question. Um, and yes, not everything will go a hundred percent according to plan. And that's one of the questions that I ask people when I'm analyzing <laughs> when I'm analyzing their deals and we're sifting through is I want to know when did things not go according to plan and how did you handle it? Uh, and it's for me to share with my clients, like that answer has to be satisfactory. And you know, there are, of course there are things that can go awry and there's, there's a difference between risk and stupidity. Stupidity is like my brother's cousin's Barber brought me this deal and I know that guy so I'm gonna get into it that is like stupid and I say that because I have done that (laughs) like personally Mm. I have invested into things just because like oh I know I know this person but Mm. I didn't really look at the deal
1: Mm. separate
0: from the person
1: me too goodness
0: you know (laughs) and yeah exactly and you know it's kind of like I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't trust my I wouldn't trust my mechanics recommendation necessarily on who should do my taxes right Like I should, I should talk to some other people who like deal in finance to get a recommendation Mm -hmm. on who should do my, my taxes. Um, and I think those are pretty common mistakes. I was talking to a new member that just joined a couple of weeks ago and he was like, yeah, I've invested in four deals. And he was super proud of himself that two of them were doing great. And two of them flopped. And I was like, bro, you're batting average like you're at a 50 50 average there like it's great that two of the ones that you picked are doing great but like two of them are not and you don't know if you're gonna get that money back you know
1: yeah yeah
0: so was does the does the reward if you're kind of gambling and playing roulette does the reward pay off if you get it right some of the time and am i saying that like every deal that I share is going to go hundred percent perfect according to plan. Of course not. I can't, I can never make that kind of a guarantee. And I am going to do the research to make sure that, you know, everything that we share with our members is as solid as you can get and we'll be transparent because there's some, there's some deals that it's like, like the cannabis one, for example, we don't know, like things could change just because of the nature of that industry, things could change with legalities. And I would still take that gamble for 36% annual interest if I had the risk capital to allocate. Now, would I take my nest egg and put it into something like that? No. I would put my, my nest egg into like more like the white rice opportunities that are backed by a hard asset and there's insurance in place. So worst that happens, I don't make a return, but I can at least get my capital back.
1: Good. you know that's good yes uh and and we had a discussion the other day and I, I i think this would be great to highlight if you don't mind digging into as well um the difference between the way men and women oh, yeah. manage money i just i just thought that was so fascinating and, and i i mean you said some information i was just like well because one, one thing right so devin you're you know you just got a, a likable personality just very uh comforting kind person um that's that's one aspect but then there's another nate there's another aspect of just being a woman that has this i guess nurturing like wanting to protect what is they're watching over, I think is how you put it. But if you, if you don't mind. Yeah, uh,
0: absolutely. You
1: can, you can get into that.
0: So it's not, you know, and not to get too polarizing, but it's not always true of men and always true of women. However, statistically, um, I think what I shared with you the other day is there, there are more men than women that invest. However, women tend to be better investors. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that by nature, we are a little bit more risk adverse. So it does take longer to get a female investor usually to like jump into an opportunity, but she takes a lot more time more often than not like really analyzing um, the risks. And, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with just like biology and, you know, the way that we have evolved as a species is like, there was a time when you were out hunting the buffalo and we were in the cave or the tent or whatever, like keeping the little ones alive. So our, like our radar is just tuned a little bit differently. Um, and if you look at like Fortune 500 companies, I think there's 47 that are run by women and they are more profitable than the other 450-ish that are run by men. So more men are doing it. However, the ones that are ran by women, um, are, are more profitable. And I think that's just like, that is a lot of our like protective nurturing nature. That's like, I mean, God just kind of made us, made us that way, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well no, thank you for sharing that. Um, so somebody may be interested, somebody interested in getting involved with the Capitol club. How does, how does that go about? What, what, are, what are they
0: uh yeah, just go to the um, thecapitalclub.io and I, there's a little button there to like book a call and they'll either talk with myself or uh, Dan, my right hand man, and we'll you know walk them through what it what it looks like. But there's it's an annual membership to come into the club and we share a new deal every week and you can participate in whichever ones make sense for you. And then we provide some education and master classes to help other like wealth building strategies, bring some of those experts in for for the members as
1: well. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, Is there anything I didn't ask you about that you think the audience should know either from an investment standpoint, from the Capital Club, any aspect that I didn't touch on? Because there's so much to the investment world.
0: There is so much. I would say start like just start and starting might be just getting in the right rooms, you know, like you don't have to start by going down a Google rabbit hole or starting by throwing a bunch of money into something that you're not sure about. Uh, but like get into the right rooms. There's people that have gone before you that will
1: help you. So just start. (laughs) The art, the art of the start. Just got to start. I love it. So, Devin, we ask every guest on the show this same question. You weren't prepped on this question. Uh, and that question is, what's the difference between one's gift and one's purpose? Ooh. One's gift and one's purpose.
0: Good question. Um, <laughs> I think your gift is... Uh, Take your time. your gift is, you know, your unique ability, unique genius that God has given to you. And your purpose is what the hell are you going to do with it? Mm. You know, mm. Truth. what are you going to do with it? And so for me, like my gift, connecting, analyzing deals. Uh, and then my purpose is to my purpose is to help other people get off the get off the hamster wheel.
1: Mm. Well stated. Love that! Thank you so much, Devin. We're gonna plug all of the information for people to get connected with you. Um, um, is there any social handles we should let them know as well that they can get get? Hang- yeah, know, listen- my to.
0: my Instagram yeah. is very much my my daily life. I'm at yeah. Devin D e v o n Ryan R y a n Johnson J o h n s o n and uh, same Facebook Devin Ryan Johnson. I'm pretty easy to find. The girl with the purple hair.
1: I love it. Thank you so much for being on the show. We truly appreciate you. And thank you for all you do.
0: It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having
1: me. Uh, uh, Dear listener, I would like to thank you so much for listening to How I Discover My Gift with yours truly, David D. Simons. As a token of my appreciation, I would love to give to you my most important piece of work to date. And it's called The Purpose Gift Tape. It's a motivational mixtape geared towards helping you to identify your gifts, which ultimately lead to you discovering your purpose. This is a six-track album I poured my heart and soul into. It includes beautiful beats and amazing spoken word over it. And I'd love to give that to you as a free gift, as a token of my appreciation for being a part of the community. So to get your copy, all you need to do is go to podcast.com dot com. that's podcast dot david the middle initial d simons s-i-m-o-n-s dot com and get yours today thank you for being a listener i'll catch you on the next episode how i discover my gift with david d simons is proud to be of the amazing and illustrious live podcast network